Welcome to the Inventory Nation podcast, a show designed to bring you the incredible voices and stories of veterinary professionals coast to coast, all while helping you to manage and control your inventory. I'm your host, Nicole Clausen, coach, advisor, and champion for veterinary teams and their inventory. Joining you live from the mountains of Montana, welcome to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Inventory Nation podcast. You're listening to episode number two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Elon Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is a recent veterinarian graduate and is doing some very interesting things in the public health arena. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Super excited. So tell us your story. So my story is uh, very non-traditional. Before vet school, I was a stay-at-home mom. I have two children, and I was living in Texas at the time, going through a kind of rough patch in my life with my marriage, not to be too personal, but just being open at the same time. And around that time, I decided it was time for me to get back in gear as far as pursuing veterinary medicine. That was the perfect time for me to do so. So I applied to St. George University. I applied to their dual degree program, the Masters of Public Health and their DVM program. And I got accepted, thankfully. And so I packed up my two children and my little dog, Yorkie, her name is Amy. <laughs> and we moved to Grenada. That was the beginning of a wild journey for all of us. Wow, that is amazing. So what was that like going to vet school and having two babies? Like, what was that whole process like? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing is that I'm not a stranger to island life. I used to live in Jamaica um, a few years out of my childhood. So at least as far as the island side of things, I was okay with that adjusting. But moving from country to country, I mean, we did that before once. We lived in France once, but still, this is a different scenario where I'm by myself right. and I'm in survivor mode. So it was interesting to say the least. <laughs> it was very stressful, but when you're filled with so much adrenaline and, and determination to write your own ship, you know, get things on track, and you have little lives to take care of, you're not really thinking about how and you know how things are looking and how you're going to get it done. You just know you're going to get things done no matter what. And I must say that along the way, I had a great support system, which made things easy for me, or I should say easier. So a, a lot of wonderful people I met on the island, they were so incredibly supportive. And, you know, that includes my professors as well. So I must say that without their help, I'm sure it would have been way harder than it was. Yeah, that is amazing. That I just love your fear of determination. It's just amazing. So thank you so much also for your vulnerability and like sharing your story. Because I know sometimes when we go through like challenging stuff, it's hard to like say it out loud sometimes. So what inspired you to go into veterinary medicine? Like, was there a moment or were it just kind of like born? Like, I know this is what I was put on this planet to do. Yeah. So I think it was a combination of the two. Um, oftentimes when you hear veterinarians or vet students talk about the reason why they pursue the field, it, it usually starts with ever since I was a little girl, I knew, or ever since I was a little <laughs> boy, I knew. For me, it was kind of like that, but I also had interest in human medicine as well. So even in my childhood, I was kind of going back and forth between being a pediatrician, being an ER doctor, and being a veterinarian. I did have pets growing up. And again, I was in Jamaica for a good few years out of my childhood. And so a lot of my um, family in Jamaica, they weren't really 
open to the idea of pet ownership and having pets in your home and everything. So that was quite interesting. Me still holding on to my love of animals while dealing with families who are like, please keep them out of the house. <laughs> and so, as I got older, um, you know, going into college, I actually wanted to uh, study music. I was classically trained, soprano, all of those things. And so I wanted to um, take that further, but that didn't happen. My mother, who's Jamaican, and I say this with a lot of love, you know, <laughs> she was wanting me to go into something that had a bit more, I guess, resilience, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so if, if anything were to happen, as far as music is concerned, how will you be able to you know, sustain yourself? So I said, all right, well, what's the other thing that I love? Well, I do love animals and veterinary medicine. So how about that? So um, in undergrad, I did a pathobiology and veterinary science major and I um, minored in French. And I just carried on with that throughout undergrad. And then, you know, after that, that's whenever I kind of paused on everything. Mm-hmm. So before I took the pause, though, I did apply to um, vet schools right out of college and I didn't get in on the first go round. So I took a pause. I, you know, changed the course of my life for a bit. Years went by. Every now and then I, you know, do some things that contributed to veterinary medicine. So for instance, an internship at the zoo or, you know, I worked as a technician um, a couple places. So, you know, I didn't entirely give up on it, but I just said, for now, I'm just going to hold off. Maybe this isn't my path. Maybe it is. Who knows? And that's whenever other things in my life started happening. And uh, yeah, so I... Right before I applied to vet school, knowing that I'm definitely going to get in no matter what, I actually considered, again, human medicine. So it was to the point where I started taking some classes because I was interested in the physician assistant program. I was interested in nursing. I was interested in, you know, MD. I started getting MCAT books, <laughs> getting ready to, you know, just go that route. Sure. But all along, I didn't really feel that drive that I always feel anytime I consider veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm wasn't quite there. So I knew it was something that I could do if I wanted to, you know, med school, PA, nursing, but it just didn't have that same feeling, that same essence, if you will. Yes. (laughs) That's so cool. I know there's something about veterinary medicine that just kind of like draws you in and hooks you. (laughs) It's like, you're never letting me go. (laughs) I know I tried, it didn't work. (laughs) Okay, so you are a master's of public health candidate, is that right? Yes. That is amazing. So in addition to being a veterinarian, you also focus in the public health sector. What kind of drew you to public health? Sure. So when I was an undergrad, um, I think at some point, it was during 2004, there was a lecturer who came in um, discussing Kenya's situation with Campylobacter and how it impacts cattle and in turn impacts you know, the caretakers, the farmers, et cetera. And what was mind blowing at the time was the idea of not only zoonoses, but, you know, just that impact that uh, animal diseases can have on people, even if it's not, you know, there's not like a animal to human transmission. Sure. Um, so considering livelihood, economics, you know, family impact, all of those things, I never really considered beforehand. So that really is what kind of triggered me to thinking, hmm, so there is something, you know, bigger than veterinary medicine as far as like what we as vets can do to help. And then again, the biggest thing for me was the idea of one health, one medicine. That was then, you know, so that concept was introduced, introduced to me at the time and it never left my mind. So whenever I realized that St. George's offers a dual degree program, 
I was just ready to to dive in sure. <laughs> just see what you know what I could do with it. Especially like I said at the time I was really driven and just ready to go and just hungry to just take any opportunity I could get. So I completed all the coursework in 2016. I started that before I did the DVM portion. Mm-hmm. And all I have left to do is uh, my practicum. So it's, you know, an internship. And with COVID, of course, it kind of messed everything's up. <laughs> you know, so thankfully, uh, St. George is there a bit lenient us this summer so that I can get that done. Yeah, that's amazing. So what are kind of your goals and vision for your future, you know, with veterinary medicine and public health? Like, what do you want to do with that? Sure. So today's answer is going to be different from <laughs> last year's answer, and it will probably be different later. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the great things with vet men. I mean, it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you know, it's, it's great knowing that there's so much you can do with your degree. There's so much out there. Um, you're not necessarily tied down to one thing, but on the other hand, it's almost overwhelming, especially if you are kind of like me, where you're a bit fluid, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this and I like that. And especially when you graduate vet school, you know, at least for me, I kind of feel like a kid out of a candy store. But I will say that going into veterinary medicine or vet school in the beginning, I was set on pathology um, and then making public health just kind of be like my foundation. But I was set on pathology. And then after some time, I got introduced to lab animal medicine. And when I realized that it kind of um, married, you know, pathology to clinical medicine to uh, just research, that blew my mind because I did some, you know, a little bit of research when I was at SGU. So I said, you know what? I can have the best of both worlds. I'm going to go into lab animal medicine for sure. And then once clinics started, <laughs> my first rotation was internal medicine and I, my mind was blown again. And I said, oh my goodness, <laughs> this. and that's kind of what it was like throughout, you know, fourth year where I said, I am not so sure lab animal, you know, is where I want to go just yet. I'll put that in the back burner. I'm really liking small animal, you know, the case work of the clinical aspect of things. And that <laughs> that's kind of where I'm right now. So I'm actually starting uh, to clinical or, or I should say GP right now. I'm going to see if I can get some emergency in there as well, but I'm going to put lab animal on hold. And as for future, I mean, it's in the future. Anything is possible. <laughs> but right now I just, and I also want to slow down. I have a family. I just kind of want to slow down a bit and just be there for them. And then, you know, we'll see where the next few years with me. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me about your work with Worldwide Vets in Tanzania. Yes, thank you. <laughs> tell me about that. What was that like? So it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I implore like anyone who's able to travel, maybe not this year, but, you know, when things kind of settle down to, to try to find some time to do so. So the clinic was actually um, based in Zanzibar, yeah, Zanzibar, which is a little island off the coast of Tanzania. So you would take uh, an hour long ferry ride oh, wow. um, off the mainland. So that was, that was quite the experience. I had a tremendous time. So I must uh, say that Worldwide Vets is an incredible organization. And I was actually trying to set something up this summer to go to Ghana but again, with everything, I wasn't able to. Sure. So essentially, it was just about, you know, being in a very, very, very rural area. I mean, to the point where it's not even on Google Maps, you know, where where, where I stayed exactly. Wow. And being in that kind of environment with, you know, kind of like the, I, I shouldn't say traditional, but I, and I also hate to use the word stereotypical. Well, I should say that oftentimes when people hear about Africa or something, they say, oh, you're staying in huts and things like that. 
usually I get offended when people say those things, but literally where I was staying, there were, you know, there was like stone huts, so to speak, with the kind of like the dry leaf roofs and everything. I thought it was amazing. I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And again, considering the very remote location, it was, it was really beautiful. It was lovely. And um, so every Saturday they had like an open clinic of like the community clinic then. Mm -hmm. And so people would literally, you know, walk their cows, walk their goats. Sometimes they had Mona monkeys. They would bring them, they, you know, they go out into the wild, catch them, bring them in, you know, if their hunting dogs injured them. And uh, that was to me very interesting because obviously we don't really do those kinds of things here. Well, we kind of do it in a different way as far as having certain animals that we shouldn't really have. Right. So they do it for the most part for, um, for money, for income, because they'll go out to, you know, like the main area, like the city area, and then they try to attract tourists and then they tip them. So it's kind of like a money-making thing for them for the most part. But that was, you know, that was great to see because you get to see what, how veterinary medicine is practiced when you don't have a lot of resources because that clinic did not have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. A lot of their supplies were donated by people that they would come across because there are a lot of tourists in the area. So the, the main veterinarian would make connections and save somebody from Germany, for instance, they'd, you know, ship a box of needles or whatever they could. They, they just made the most of what they had. And, um, and it was just incredible to see, um, Dr. Flavie is the veterinarian, just to see him handle cases with not much, you know, things that we take for granted, like, you know, radiographs on hand and things like that. He didn't have access to that on the Island. So sometimes depending on the client, he would see if he could send them to the mainland, Tanzania to get the radiographs done, but being able to just really use your five senses to handle cases was just incredible. And he did the best that he could. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible experience just to be in that role of an area. But then mm-hmm. I'm sure it was just, I mean, to live. I mean, I love the island life. I like dream about living on an island. So I'm sure like that aspect was just amazing as well. So right. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so recently you posted a video titled Black in Veterinary Medicine. I know there's a lot going on right now and I'd love to get kind of your inspiration behind that video and your thoughts on that video and just, you know, your feelings about everything that's going on right now. Sure. So where do I begin? Um, (laughs) A loaded question. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I can say that overall what's happening right now is just... I think I mentioned this in the video, like uh, the veil has dropped, mm-hmm. right? Or the whichever. And so everything that's been going on in this country is finally, finally getting to the surface. And we're finally having discussions. So we're the discussions that we're having are things that we'd be discuss, you know, having um, amongst our peers, family, et cetera, in our homes. But now it's it's out there, social media, you know, it's it's just out there, the, the different uh, media outlets. I of course, being black, you know, I am definitely affected by everything going on. And it's, it's troublesome. Well, I shouldn't say troublesome, but it does bother me a bit whenever I'm going through my Facebook timeline, because I'm, I'm primarily on Facebook. Sure. And I'm reading the discourse, the different exchanges that are happening um, in different groups. So uh, in different professionals, um, whether it's physicians, nurses, veterinarians, even, and then, you know, just other other people. So again, no matter no matter what you're doing, you're affected by this somehow. Now, within the profession, there are 
there are a lot of veterinarians that I have on my timeline, whether, whether it's like personal connection or through groups. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading, you know, I'd read the exchange. People would start posts, they talk about it. And I see, you know, the different opinions about what's going on. And, you know, there's, there's a difference between not agreeing with what's happening, even though you understand, like you still understand why, mm-hmm. but you don't, for instance, like you don't agree with the riots, but you understand, you know why they're doing it versus just being blatantly blind or just, you know, just almost being ignorant or failing to even understand why things are happening. And then you're putting your input, like, so you're using the platform of Facebook to, you know, put your input in on the matter. And so that, that troubles me whenever I see it from fellow veterinarians. And again, it could be anybody, but I just focus on that med because this is just our community, right? Sure. Um, and again, because of the, the physical landscape, it, you know, it's, it's quite homogenous. And so vet medicine is a small world too. Mm-hmm. And when I see all these veterinarians who, and, and I'm just going to be direct <laughs> for the most part, who are just, just blind to what's happening. Mm-hmm. I wonder, okay, first of all, we're, we're all just very educated people. We, we understand reasoning, et cetera. We understand logic. So, so what's the disconnect here? Why is it that my peers, like I, I could be working with these people any day, right? And it's like, the, how do you see me? If you're not understanding what's happening and why people are angry and why people are just acting out, if you will, then how do you see me? Right. Do you, do you see the struggles that I go through? I mean, we're a very small community. And so I just felt so compelled to just kind of speak up because I don't see many, many of us, again, just within the community uh, of veterinary medicine speaking up about this. And it just made me think, you know, kind of reflect on my experiences um, in the field with, with clients and, and everything. And not just, I mean, of course, I didn't want to talk about um, the other stories that I've heard from my peers um, because it's not my place, but I've heard some very unsettling accounts from fellow students, you know, about their experience with other, you know, non-Black veterinarians. And it's, it's not nice <laughs> to, to be, you know, to, to put it simply. Absolutely. Um, so I just figured, you know, I just started the YouTube channel and I have this platform just like everybody else has their platform. And I just wanted to use it as an opportunity to just kind of speak up so that people can now, you know, seeing that they're, they're now being made aware uh, you know, everywhere else is like, all right, now within the profession, let's talk about it. So yeah. sure, we have this whole diversity um, and inclusion movement happening within the field, which is great, but let's let's get a little deeper. You know what I mean? Let's talk about some uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. I so. think that's so great that, you know, this conversation needs to be happening because, you know, I can't remember, is it like less than 2% of veterinarians are Black? And it's like, we need to be having these conversations. It's important as like, like you mentioned, like such a small community of very highly educated people, you know, we are naturally very compassionate and empathetic. It's like, let's be as compassionate and empathetic, like to our colleagues as we are with our patients. So I think it's just reminding ourselves to just take a step back and remember that empathy and compassion. And so I think it's wonderful that you're kind of like speaking out and you're sharing your story. And I appreciate you having even the vulnerability to do so because I know it can be challenging. What advice would you give newer women of color veterinarians or veterinary staff, or really to those interested in joining the profession? Do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share to those women? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing I would say is to find your voice and do not be afraid to use it. 
Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't feel like you have to conform, fit in, and all those things. Don't be afraid to stand out. You know, stay true to who you are and stand your ground. Speak up. Those those would be the 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 first sets of things that I would tell somebody. Outside of that, you know, as far as people um, going into the field, just keep your keep your options open. Keep your mind open. When I was coming in, I always heard people say, you think you know what you want, <laughs> but you, you don't. And I remember starting, I was like, well, I definitely do. I'm going mm-hmm. to pathology or lab animal medicine, and I'm getting my public health. I know exactly what I want to do. So that does not pertain to me, you know, your advice, but I was wrong. <laughs> so um, definitely keeping my mind open to you know, the different experiences that may have an impact on me, that that's, that's important. You don't want to lose out on something that could change your life. You know I mean? You might even have a great impact on that particular thing that you think you're not interested in because you're so set on something else, you know, just, just stay open and allow yourself to go with the flow. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, going back to what you said about just, you know, not and being like vulnerable enough to like not fit in or like not need to fit in and be like comfortable standing out because you know as I've like talked and met so many veterinary professionals I feel like just the people who like use their voice and they like are drawn to their strengths and they like are true to who they are it's like it just makes such a huge impact and you can just see like the positive impact mm-hmm. that they make in our community yeah. just by being themselves. Right, absolutely. Um, so what is the best career advice you've ever received? Ooh, I've received. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, you know, it's going to sound really simple, but I tell you it, it has a lot of meaning and that is to Try not to worry about anything and really believe that everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to, the way it should. And so whoever's listening right now might think, well, well, okay, well, what does that mean, right? So I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example of why that really means so much as career advice. So as you know, I just graduated and I am I recently started working through, you know, the whole employment process. And mm-hmm. um I'm I'm freaking out because I'm thinking about my loans. I actually just looked at my balance the other day. <laughs> and um, you know, it's shocking <laughs> to see the figure, even though you know you're you're gonna be in debt, but whew. And so yeah. I'm thinking about that, thinking about my family, thinking about employment, thinking about COVID, changing everything for everyone. Um, and what does that mean, not just for now, but over the next few months, right? The long term impact. Mm-hmm. And um I can't help but just panic. What what is ha- what's going to happen financially? Am I going to be able to take care of all of my responsibilities? What about job? Is you know am I still going to have a job? And blah 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 blah. And then I just I just had to remind myself: Don't worry, Lon. Everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And then I took that in mind, and I still you know me went along doing the things I was supposed to do, but I wasn't as stressed out, right? I just did what mm-hmm. I did my part. And allowed God, allowed the universe to just take care of the rest. And now, thankfully, I'm in an okay position. Like I feel calm and I feel relaxed and comfortable with where I am, you know, so I can move forward. And I think that's really the, the, the best thing. And you can apply that to school as well, no matter what you're going through, really. 
is just to always believe that everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to and try to just relax and not worry. Yeah. I love that advice. And I agree because sometimes I feel like when you start to worry and you kind of get in that like worry tailspin, Mm -hmm. it's like you almost can't see the positive opportunities because you're like so focused on, you know, what could go wrong rather than what could go right. So I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So do you have um, like a particular individual or resource or book that has like really inspired you? Absolutely. So So you remember earlier when I was talking about how I was really thinking about uh, human medicine and then I said, nope, I'm going back to Mm -hmm. medicine. So the the person who really, really inspired me um, around that time is Dr. Elliot Garber. I think I'm saying his name right. I somehow found his blog. It's called The Uncommon Veterinarian. I don't believe he is actively, you know, um, updating that blog. I think his last posts were around 2014. Oh my goodness. It really like, and that was, so aside, apart from me being introduced to public health when I was an undergrad, his blog sealed the deal for me. Everything about it, the content, it was literally just about exploring, you know, paths in veterinary medicine that don't necessarily have to do with general practice. There's so much you can do. And that really got me fired up. And I would say that I would credit my... (laughs) my hot flame, you know, as far as veterinary medicine, I credit that to him. That's amazing. That is so cool. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds very interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story with us. Is there anything else that you want to share or add or? Um, I would just say, so everyone who is starting vet school this fall, (laughs) um, I would just say, you know, Really make the most of your opportunity in school. Anytime you feel like this might not be for you, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. But 99.99% of the time, you're going to be wrong. Um, Usually whenever you're feeling like, oh, I think I made the wrong choice, it's just because you're just stressed and overwhelmed and, you know, probably feeling burnt out. And that's whenever you should take that time to put, you know, pause, go to the beach if you're in Grenada, wink. (laughs) <laughs> or find something else wherever you are located that brings you joy. And even if you take a day off or two from classes, do that because you need the balance so that you can be reminded why you're doing what you're doing and you will not regret it. Yeah. That is such great advice. Thank you so much. Well, thank you truly, Dr. Armstrong. It really was a pleasure to share and just to chat with you. So again, and good luck with everything that you have going on. It sounds like you have are going to do just amazing things in veterinary medicine. So thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. Of course, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast and spending your time with me. I know your time is valuable and in short supply, so it truly is an honor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or leave a review. Be sure to visit vetlogic.co slash podcast to access the show notes and discover additional links and resources. See you next time.